0: Now all of friendland can rejoice, here comes another content choice, revealing tips and tricks and mysteries, and some watchman stories since 1990. They Might Be Dark Friends Podcast!
1: Hello and welcome to They Might Be Dark Friends a podcast for friends and fans of The Wheel of Time, where we discuss anything and everything, showing the ups, downs, and tips related to content creation. And lately, we've been discussing mental health in the fandom. We're also big fans of They Might Be Giants, a weird band from the 90s that's still making music today. And so we often like to compare a They Might Be Giants song to The Wheel of Time and to the topic of the day. And today's They Might Be Giants song is called Sleep. And Let me find the lyrics. Got them here somewhere. Here are the lyrics. Each time I sleep, I'm sad. I will be replaced by somebody else. In the morning. Exactly like me. Going around, drinking all my drinks, kissing my wife, thinking what I think, making me resentful. But each time I get up in the morning, I'm glad I took someone else's place. (laughs) And you got to listen to the song because it is funny and weird. and. Uh, so today's topic is imposter syndrome. And like the song he's talking about, each time he wakes up, he feels like he's in someone else's body. He's a different person. It's almost like he is a new imposter or the person he was yesterday was an imposter. That's kind of how I interpret that song. So, uh, yeah. Also, I want to introduce all of us. I should have done that already. Uh, (laughs) I'm Lauren, uh, and I'm excited to be here. I might be a dark friend. Because I want Moraine to leave the TV show for a few seasons.
2: <laughs> Hot take. I love it. I'm Rob, and I might be a dark friend because I'm more excited for the Swifty Bowl than I am for the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> just because the thumb thumb the nose at all the people who get offended about that, such things. So That's funny.
0: I'm Alyssa, and I might be a dark friend because I needed to get my son a new vehicle, so I had to get him a drag car. Nice.
3: <laughs> I'm Koala, and I might be a dark friend because I get really nervous that um, I didn't get to overprepare for this episode.
1: Oh, you're going to be great. And we have a guest with us today.
0: Yay! I'm so excited. We're for our so guest.
4: excited to have our guest, Ruark. Would you like to introduce Woo-hoo! yourself? Uh, oh, I'm the guest. Hi. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Ruark. <laughs> uh, I am the host of the Watch Party Wheel of Time podcast, along with my co-host Saima and my six, yeah, six panelists. That's a lot of panelists that I have to edit every week. Uh, but yeah, we we have a great podcast where um, my six panelists have never read the books, but they're watching the show, and we're getting their reactions and their deep dives into the characters and what they see and what they're thinking is going to happen, and you would be amazed by the stuff that they come up with. I,
1: I completely agree. I've, I've listened to a lot of your podcast and sometimes people complain that the show isn't explaining enough. I'm one of those people. I wish they'd explain more in the show. And then I listen to your podcast and and your panelists, they're, they're just like right in sync. They They get yeah. it, and they recognize foreshadowing and they understand so many things
4: that I'm like, oh, I didn't think anyone noticed that, you know? So the the insights are amazing. I had many of the same thoughts. Like, you have no idea how hard it is to keep a straight face while I'm doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear you trying to keep a straight face when I listen.
0: (laughs) It's a talent.
4: And I might be a dark friend, possibly because my favorite, they might be giant song is shoehorn with teeth. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, that's, you can't go wrong with that one. It's a great one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, it's so great to have you here, Rourke. We're so excited to talk. I, I, We were discussing offline about, lately our podcast has sort of turned into this mental health discussion, and we don't know that it will always be that, but since we are all people who happen to have minds, we have mental health to think about, and so we uh, like discussing these things, but by no means are we experts. So, if you're listening to this podcast and things resonate with you, that's great. We're happy about that. But we also don't want you to necessarily take everything we say as gospel. If there's a need for uh, mental health awareness, if you need to take care of mental illness, please reach out to actual professionals and experts. We are just kind of our own little personal support group, (laughs) Um, but we don't, you know, we're not experts. And that being said, today's topic, imposter syndrome, I feel like I'm an expert about imposter
4: syndrome.
1: (laughs) I feel like I don't know what happened when I was born, but I got a lot of it. What do you guys think about imposter syndrome? Koala, are you okay to go first?
3: I think that I've resonated with that from really early in my life, even before I had any idea that that was what I was experiencing. And I think that to a large degree, it was was really um, compounded for me by the way I was raised because my parents were extremely focused on good appearances and so we would be lectured as we were going out on how we were going to behave in whatever situation we were going to be in and so I never felt like I could be myself when I was out and, yeah, I... As as I grew, and I grew out of that feeling, I have still never grown out of feeling like an imposter in most situations. Yeah. So it's quite amazing how deeply it can seep into your being.
1: Yeah, from an early age. Uh, Alyssa, what about you? I know that we've discussed this before. How, what are your thoughts on imposter syndrome?
3: Well, when
0: we were contemplating this topic, I just did a tiny little bit of research and it's something like 70% of people c- claim that they felt this way at some point or another. Um, and I wonder if, you know, that percentage is higher among people with neurodivergency. Di- diver- neuro-diver- Sorry, I'm not saying that right, but you know what I mean. Neurospicy. Uh, I wonder <laughs> if that's higher. Uh, and, and I mean, again, this is something that's come sort of more to the forefront in the last few years. And it, it's something that, you know, there's putting a name to things that we're experiencing is great because it helps us to identify what we're being challenged by. And I, I never really considered that that was something that I might be affected by. Um, and then it was like, Oh, whoops, (laughs) I guess, I guess I am. Um, because especially, well, I can't even say especially I'm sure in any field, but you know, as I I'm a performer and I still struggle even saying that. I mean, I've been doing it my whole life. I love to sing. I love to act. I love to perform. But it was always like, oh, this is just my hobby. I just sort of do it on the side and it's not a legitimate thing. I don't really contribute. I'm not really any good at it. Um, And I'm working towards sort of owning what I like to do and accepting that I mean, I have a degree. (laughs) In vocal performance, why would I ever think that it is not something that I can do, right? So I, I just, yeah, I think I experience it just like everybody else.
1: Well, and even after a degree, you've had so much experience, you're constantly adding new notches to the belt, right? Isn't that interesting how the more we have experience with something, that doesn't necessarily take it away, does it?
0: Right. And that's probably where, like Huala was saying, that it's it's definitely deep inside, <laughs>
1: Now, I personally have felt that as I gain more confidence in something, the imposter syndrome does go away a little. Um, it's, it's more strong for me when it's um, something new or something outside of my comfort zone, right? Getting into the comfort zone, what, you know, when, if I'm talking like professionally, for example, I make videos for a living. When I was starting out, r- fresh out of school, I could say I went to school for it, but I didn't have a lot of experience. My first job really is what started me getting experience. And I felt very much imposter syndrome. But now, years later, into that particular field, I feel very confident. I rarely feel imposter syndrome. But then when something new comes, um, for example, the YouTube channel that that I started, that was something I did mostly for me. And yet, I'm constantly feeling out of my element, feeling like I'm comparing myself to others, like other people do it so much better than me. So there's definitely like an aspect of this for me as a content creator that has, it's kind of resurfaced in certain ways. Um, And then in my personal life, I've had certain uh, responsibilities and things added onto me uh, that have pushed me a lot recently. Um, And so it's been kind of humbling. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with this other than to just say like, It feels to me like when new things come along that push you out of your comfort zone, at least for me, that's where the pain points are.
2: Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on imposter syndrome? Do you feel it? I feel it all over the place. I mean, I feel it professionally. You know, I studied illustration, you know, like I've, I've illustrated a children's book, I've illustrated a business book, so I am an illustrator, but I don't feel like it because I don't practice that all the time. And so I feel it in the back of my head anytime somebody says like, oh, hey. You know he's an illustrator he can do it and i'm like yeah well I, i'll try you know like so, but i can't i mean like that's i i don't know why i have those doubts when obviously i know i can do it like let's say you were saying obviously you know you can sing like why do we still have that mental uh attacks that we have from our own stupid brains but um i feel it yeah professionally um i felt it um in my last job um by default maybe for me, maybe it was by merit, but from my point of view, default by corporate restructuring, I found myself as a creative director over a marketing department of like nine people in Seattle and Chicago. And, uh, and I didn't have any training for people management. And all of a sudden, like I'm being dinged by my manager for not doing like one-on-one training and, you know, checking in with my people and all these things that I didn't even know I was supposed to do because nobody ever told me. And I feel like, I'm stressed out like I can't leave because I'm juggling all these plates. And if I let go of any one thing, it's all gonna come crashing down. And how did I even get in this situation in the first place? Kind of a thing, you know? Um, so I felt that there uh, you know, huge amount of stress at that job. Um, you know, feeling imposter syndrome and even uh, you know, as a content creator, you know, within this community, it's very tight knit, very open, very welcoming community. And I know that people love the stuff that I do, but you know, like I can't help but think, like in the back of my head, every time somebody talks online about, like, you know, whether, whether it's like, you know, WattCon or whatever, you know, they're like, you know, you could be a content creator. That means you do YouTube or you do a podcast. And I'm like, but I didn't do YouTube and I didn't do a podcast. Am I a content creator? Cause I'm making like art. I guess that's content, but it's not what people talk about, you know? So do I feel like I even have a place at the table? You know, like if I'm invited on a panel, like a literal table, or you know, like in just discussions around the couch, you know, like when we're all together, um, you know, everybody's talking about what they do for their podcast. Or I mean, I guess obviously this has changed now since, but what they do for their podcast or what they do for their YouTube channel, or like, and you know, how are their metrics on their YouTube channel? I'm just like, I don't even think I have a hundred followers on YouTube. Am I even a content creator? But I've created over five years of this goofy tabloid that I make and put out and, and people like it. So I, you know, it might be outside of the bounds of what most people think of as a content creator, content creation, but I have to fight my brain and say like, no, I'm just as worthy to be here as anybody else who's putting out stuff. And it's not like any of us are doing this. You know, professionally, Amazon's not, you know, paying us to crank out episodes of whatever we're making. So we're all in the same boat, whether I, whether my brain wants to let me admit it or not, you know? Yeah. Isn't it funny that there
1: even is a table? What I mean by that is we always like to, like, group ourselves into groups. You know, this is a thing that's gone on for ever since humans have been humans, right? We're tribal. We, we draw lines in the sand between ourselves and others. We say that we're in this group, you're in that group or whatever. Like this idea that content creators is a separate group of fandom in the Wheel of Time is pretty funny to me because we're all Wheel of Time fans. Doesn't mean you have to make a video or a podcast to be a Wheel of Time fan, uh, right? So, and yet that's, you can't, especially with something like WatCon, WatCon is, was intentionally sort of made to put the content creators front and center. Um, and so I, I do think sometimes we accidentally do say, "Oh, oh well, I." Oh, and I imagine this happens to people at the conventions too, where they're like, "Well, I don't belong in that group because they know each other and they make YouTube videos, but I do this yeah. thing over here or whatever." Oh, I
2: felt that. I've literally felt that, you know, like yeah. Oh, well, and
1: I have too. We just and don't I'm supposedly hands. in that yeah. group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Rourke, I'm going to ask you a little bit different of a question, but I will okay. pick, and, pick and choose what you want to talk about because right. you know I'm not I'm no expert on interviews or anything, but um, <laughs> I. I love the fact that your name is Rourke, and I was wondering, that, is it true that that's your legal name?
4: Uh, it is not my legal name. It is the name that I, I go by um, in daily life.
1: Yeah, so it's the name that people call you.
4: Yes, yes. That or or Wookie. I've gone by Wookiee since I was <laughs> 15, something like that.
1: I mean, honestly, those are both perfect for you, yeah, aren't yeah. they?
4: <laughs> <laughs> More or less.
1: Well, I guess what I wanted to ask is, mm-hmm. like, so why Ruark? How, why do you identify with him? And maybe how that relates to imposter syndrome as well. Because um, I don't see Ruark as someone with imposter syndrome.
4: <laughs> no, the Ruark, character. Yeah, the, the character yeah. of Ruark definitely does not have imposter syndrome. No, um. To, to make a short story long, um, <laughs> I, I identify as non-binary, they, them. And my, my given name never felt right to me. And at some point, I realized that all of my trans friends were picking new names and feeling amazing because of that. And I was like, I don't need to trans. I, I mean, I am trans, non-binary. I, uh, you know, I don't identify as male, but that I, I don't need to transition to anything else in order to select a name that feels like it fits, mm-hmm. that feels like me. And I kinda I sat down, I wrote out a bunch of names and and the one that just kept popping up was Ruark. And you know, when when you look in the the Wheel of Time glossaries and such, they list Ruark. He's middle aged, he's six foot six, he's red hair going gray at the temples, and I look in the mirror and I'm like, Oh hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's where where the name came from and it, it feels better. My my given name, you know, like my parents and my and the government use that. And nobody else has used my given name since I was fifteen or so, you know. Mm. At least nobody who who knows me and cares for me. Um so yeah, that's that's kind of where that came from. And honestly, I do feel like an imposter sometimes because I use that name, because like you said, Ruark in the books is not an imposter and I feel like an imposter trying to live up to that name sometimes. Thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. I, I I kind of put you on the spot there, but I, I really love that. You know, I came in here thinking that I was the biggest imposter of all you, but now I feel like I may have been an imposter feeling that sorry, <laughs> trying
2: to make a joke that didn't work. No, it, totally <laughs> it, worked. it works when everybody resonates and they're speechless, you know? Yeah.
4: Um, but like, as, as far as content creation, like you were saying, I, you know, I, I do a podcast, but I feel like I'm not a real content creator because I don't do a YouTube channel or because I, you know, I, I, I know my way around audio. I don't feel like an imposter when it comes to audio stuff, but I cannot do anything visual, anything visual at all. And without the visual aspect, I feel like an imposter as a creator.
1: Mm. interesting you know i've been thinking about is how much of this is just youtube's fault (laughs) 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 you know what i mean like youtube is probably the best content creation platform to make money maybe besides like instagram if you're a huge influencer or something
2: but um yeah but you know what's funny is like youtube and like you know tiktok and whatever you want to say like they all started out as like, you know, the grassroots, like you can make videos and get them online too. You don't have to be professional. That's why it's YouTube and not like them Tube or, you know, pro tube or whatever. You <laughs> yeah, <know? exactly>. like, <laughs> and you? that's
1: how it started, certainly. But now it's all about chasing that money and chasing yeah, the algorithm yeah. and chasing this and that. And, you know, I was watching a video the other day. I, because I do make YouTube videos and because I constantly feel like an imposter about it, I watch a lot of other people who have... Had a lot more experience on that platform so that I can learn from them and hopefully, um, you know, improve. And so um, I was watching a thing where somebody said something that really stood out to me. I think it was Bookborn, which is a YouTuber who does uh, BookTube. Mm-hmm. She did a really honest video kind of recently where she just said, Here's how much money I make on YouTube. And here's everything I wish I'd known that someone said to me when I started. And it's not a big money making thing like you think. And then she went on to like show her the financial statements from YouTube and to talk about all the effort and talk about how much money she personally spent to make her channel. And anyway, one of the things she said that I really appreciated, she said, YouTube gamifies analytics. And in other words, they try to get you to want to be better than your last video. Every time they want you to feel like an imposter about your own content and to always constantly try to compete with yourself and with others. And so they gamify this and I've definitely felt that in my own life or with my YouTube channel. And so in recent months, I've cut way back and I felt a lot healthier mentally because I'm not like chasing that. Ah, well, my last video got all these views. I got to one up it and do it again. And I'm not like looking at someone else in the content creation space, specifically on YouTube, like John from What Up, who I used to feel very competitive with, even though we're good fr- friends, I always felt like I got to beat him. I got to get the, the video out sooner. I got to mm-hmm. do this. So there's this weird um, drive that YouTube does. And the other thing I was going to say is um, YouTube isn't any longer for you. <laughs> it used <laughs> to be. It's for mm-hmm. corporations. It's it's just like everything else. It's turned into a money-making machine for advertisers. And sadly, that's, that's the way... If you're wanting to make it full-time is what I'm trying to say. That's what it's trying to push. Um, now, if you're just using YouTube to make content and be free, that's totally fine. And it still lets you do that. Alyssa, you were going to say something.
0: I just, I'd be curious to know how many people who are technically content creators feel like they are content creators. And it might have something to do with the lack of a tangible item because, I mean, I still, I'm sorry, I hope that this isn't out of line, but I don't feel like I'm a content creator. I don't have, I mean, I don't do anything. You know I mean? I mean, (laughs) when I did that, um, the panel with you, Lauren, at Dragonsteel Con, I had a placard that said YouTuber, and I felt so stupid because I was like, <laughs> "No, I'm not. What does that even mean?" I don't. I anyway. It was. I mean, it was kind of fun, but I also, on the on the other hand, it was. It was. I so I just kind of would be curious, like, how many people out there actually feel like <laughs> feel like they aren't imposters? I mean, does John from What Up like? Yeah, I totally am a content creator. I mean, I hope so because. Because they are, but I mean, does everybody have this same struggle or are we just, the, you know, the five of us are here today because we discovered that we're the ones who are like, no, I don't do anything. I mean, that's yeah. not true. I mean, I know you guys all recognize, on one hand, I know we all do recognize what we have to contribute, but then there's just, it's like this balancing of like, sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I did something that was worthwhile. But then the others, then immediately the balance goes to the other side and you just like, well, that was, nobody cares about this. What was the point of that effort? Yeah, I don't
1: know. Well, that's a good question. I I guess we should just open it up to everybody. I was just going to say, a lot of this depends on why you do it. I think everyone makes content for different reasons, and I um, turned down the idea of talking about this "They Might Be Giant song that Rob recommended until we do another one. But there's actually a lyric in it that really does help. Um, spoiler so this, alert. <laughs> this is a spoiler alert, maybe for another for another uh, topic, but I. This really fits in. It, it's a song by They Might Be Giants called Brontosaurus. And here's just one of the lyrics. It says, you want to leave an impression. You want to express an emotion. You crave some attention. And for this transgression, you'll be repaid when you fall and you fail and sink into depression.
3: Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> Count on it's They Might Be true. Giants to have count on they might be giants to have a nice little bop and a beat and sing something totally depressing. <laughs> but I to me, that really stood out to me because as a content creator, like I there is a part of me that craves some attention. but that's not the main reason why I do it. I want to leave an impression and I want to express an emotion, right? Yeah
3: mm.
1: So, do I feel like I'm a content creator if I'm not doing those things,
2: or if I am, that's interesting. I don't what do you guys think about that? It kind of speaks to the tortured artist aspect in, you know, (laughs) all of us, you know, the unspoken thing, right? Like we put some, we put our heart into something and we make it, whether or not people ever see it or not, you know, like, um, you know, we put it out there and, you know, maybe people like it. Maybe they don't, maybe nobody ever sees it until we're dead, you know, like, you know, and then along comes the internet. Now it's like super easy to, you know, put something out there. And share it and say like hey look what I made because we crave community like you're saying Lauren like we want a tribe of people who understand us right so we put something out there and it attracts people who want to see it right but it also attracts the negative elements of people who are like well why didn't you do it this way or that way or I could have done this or I could have done that and you know because everybody has opinions you know like everybody has you know for some reason an inner desire to one up the next person too, and so it brings in that negative aspect that could lead to that depression that is mentioned in that lyric, Lauren. It's funny that you mentioned that because when I was listening to the song several times last night and today, and uh, you know, so we we'll get into this deeper in whatever episode we use it in. But when that lyric came up, I was like, I immediately thought of you because long before we had started this podcast. When you and I were room- roommates at JordanCon, like, we were up, like, almost all night just talking. And a lot of the stuff we were talking about was this, you know, like, um, you know, why do I feel, you know, like, the need to put something out there to inflate my ego? And I don't want to inflate my ego. I don't want to be that person, but I am that person, you know, like, we have this inner conflict, you know, the, the little shoulder angel and the shoulder demon, you know, like, who are constantly telling us one thing or the other, you know, you shouldn't do that. You should do this, you know, like... um, and it it can easily, if we listen to the wrong voice too much, it can easily drive us to depression to not want to do it or to be burnt out or to be negative or to be have a chip on our shoulder of, you know, I don't feel appreciated, so screw these people. I don't care about that anymore, you know. like. But if we remember, like, why we do it, like you're saying, like, you know, what is the reason why you put stuff out there? Because you love to do it. Whether or not other people like it or not, you love to do it. And that's what's important they, those people are not the ones who are making you do it. You know, they're not, they're not willing you to do it. In fact, they might be willing you to not do it because they're jerks, you know, like <laughs> sometimes, but, but if you, but if you love it, keep doing it. I mean, I still love doing the weekly wheel news. So I'm still doing it. Granted, it's been quite a while since I did one just because there's so much other stuff that's taken my attention, you know, right now. But at the same time, like I haven't lo- lost my love to do it, so I wanna do it. And when I do it, I know it's gonna be funny or I know it's gonna be good, but it might not be as good as, you know, back when Trump was in office and I had a running Elida perfect example. Like that was kind of <laughs> that was eerily prophetic. Meg Tarvalon great again. Yeah. I know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I I was listening to Tucker Henry the other day and they were mentioning um, you know, like when they're doing a the deep dive in Elida and they're like, it's, 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 it's weird because it's like he was writing about the president, but this was like 20 years before then. And I'm like, I know, right. That's what I thought was so weird when I got onto that kick in the weekly news. I'm like, this, it kind of writes itself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I might not have the, the running, you know, constant current events commentary that I used to, but it's still fun. I still like doing it. Um, just because I, I love goofy tabloids and I, love the wheel of time. And so those two things coming together is why I love to do what I do, you know, like, or these goofy t-shirts or whatever, you know, like, I still love doing them. And I'm not going to listen to the haters that say, you know, like, don't do that, because, you know, it's stupid, or don't do that, because, you know, somebody else can do it better or whatever. I mean, like, you know, constantly, I get people on Facebook, who I appreciate, um, and certain groups that are like, hey, this other person's ripping off your idea. That person's ripping off your idea. And I'm just like, you know what? Like, if it, if you're good, the cream's going to float to the top. You know, like... Yeah, that's
1: the sincerest form of flattery. They're the imposters.
2: Yeah, right? <laughs> Screw them, you know? Like, um, so, you know, maybe I, I, I probably should think of it as flattery, but I'm just like, unoriginal jerk, you know, copying my artwork or whatever, you know? But whatever, it doesn't bother me. You know, like a water off the duck's back, they say
4: something that I've done in the last six or eight months or so that has actually helped quite a bit with my imposter syndrome. Um, like you were saying, Lauren, for a while there, I was like comparing myself to all the other content creators and like, you know, who am I better than? Who am I worse than? What do I need to do to get, to get more listeners than, blah? Yeah, blah, blah? You know, and, and it wasn't healthy and it was, I I recognized that and I was just like, this is dumb. I don't, I don't want to do this. And I, I really disengaged from a lot of things. I like I I took away my Twitter, I took away my my Facebook, I stopped visiting all the groups and I just kind of decided okay, I've got my podcast. I'm going to focus on my podcast. I'm going to focus on making content for the people who listen to my podcast. I'm not going to focus on trying to change my content to bring other people in. I'm just going to keep making the content I do and the people who Enjoy that are going to come find me hopefully, and you know for a large part they have, and I I love those people and the you know my my listeners are are they're dear near and dear to me many of them including Koalas and I who's one of our first super fans and I found that that doing that just focusing on the group of people that are there for me rather than the group of people I'm trying to impress made me feel like much less of an of an imposter doing my own thing. I love that. I'm taking that and I'm going to try that. That sounds great. (laughs) I, I, I realized I was focusing on the wrong people and that's why that's a large part of why I was feeling like an imposter in some situations.
1: So I don't want to move away from this topic if anyone else wants to say anything, but I do want to talk about wheel of time and how there's imposter syndrome in the wheel of time. So before we move on, does anyone else want to say anything about what we've been discussing?
0: Only that sometimes our imposter syndrome, and we're talking about it in terms of content creation, but I think that it's, it's also present in my life as a human being outside of the Wheel of Time fandom. Definitely. And that's, yeah. I mean, another thing we could talk okay. about for a long time. But <laughs> if you have any um, suggestions on <laughs> you know how not to feel a, like a human imposter, sometimes I'm like, am I a robot? Am I am I crazy?
1: But I, well you know. I love what Ruark said about thinking about um the audience and who you're doing it for yeah. and not trying to compete but rather just try to do it for the people who do lift you up and for yourself. I think that's for sure for me that's really beautiful because it helps a lot. Um in my personal life, I was gonna you remember back in the like early two thousands, they had this campaign called It Gets Better. <laughs> and it was related to you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of suicides in um, especially in LGBTQ plus communities, young people who maybe aren't getting the support that they should be getting at home or they're being bullied or whatever the case may be. And it led to an increase in suicide. And so there were adults, mostly celebrities who were um who were often gay or in that community and and they would come out and say, look, I know it's hard now, but I promise you it gets better. You'll find your tribe. Right. And I I feel like, uh, yes, it does apply to um, that group of people, but it applies to really everybody. I feel like as you give yourself time, you do find your tribe. And the internet is great for that. And so for me, the wheel of time community is, is in part that tribe that I found, but um, professionally speaking, I also can tell people, you know, I've been teaching a class to students um, at the local university for 15 years now. It's just an evening class, but they feel so they have no confidence because they don't have much experience. I'm teaching them like a beginner class, and they don't really know what they're doing. And if you look at like professional work and compare it to the thing you can barely do because you're just learning it, you can't help but feel like I'm never going to get there. And it gets better, applies in that way too. You know, there there are so many things where you can say, "Look, I promise you." as you put your time and effort into this thing, it will get better for you. Do you guys feel that yourselves? Like I, I feel that way professionally. And even as, you know, I just hit my four year anniversary for YouTube. It is getting better. There are things I've had to learn and there are things that I struggled with, especially competing with others. And I'm sure that's not gone for me, but um, it has gotten better as I've learned to kind of work through all of this. You know, Do you feel that way, Alyssa? Like does the imposter syndrome go away as you do things more and get better at them? Does it get better
4: for yeah, you? Yeah,
0: certainly. I, but I think that there's a there's it's there's a difference between imposter syndrome and just feeling uncomfortable with something that's new. I think when you when you really talk about imposter syndrome, it's something that you already know how to do. You, at least in my understanding of the definition, it's like you certainly are. Uh, you guys read um, Wave Kings like Navani? How she was like this great scientist who was like I don't know anything about science, but she obviously did. That's that's what it, where where I think imposter syndrome specifically is, or how it's defined. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just in life, I guess I guess there, at the beginning stage of something that you're learning that's new, you might have imposter syndrome, thinking I can never do this, and that would be a, an aspect of it. But but as you as you learn and grow, you either have it still or you don't. You you you've moved on, you know the knowledge and you know you know it, or you move on, you know the knowledge, and you still don't think you have it. That's yeah. where the imposter syndrome is is really dangerous. Rek, did you have something to add? Oh, to that? I was going to so,
4: say it suddenly it suddenly occurs to me that uh, imposter syndrome is almost like the inverse of Dunning Kruger syndrome. Which I'm not is, familiar um, with that. Uh, Dunning Kruger is uh, it's if you know nothing about something, y- you generally know you know nothing about something. If you know a little bit about something, you think you know a lot about something, and then the more you get to know about it, the <laughs> more you the realize <laughs> I don't know everything. And then you know the people. It, mm-hmm. There's like this spike in perceived ability that falls off really quick, and then comes back up with with mm. actual knowledge. And it feels like imposter syndrome is the opposite. You have all the knowledge, but you think there's so much more knowledge that I could have. And it's like, yeah, but you still have more knowledge than most people on this subject mm. but just because you don't have the last 2%. And
3: it's hmm. kind of a little bit more personal than that with imposter s- syndrome because it's you don't actually believe that you legitimately. Um, achieve that knowledge or that skill or that whatever it is and that's what makes you feel like an imposter so you might be able to um to stand up and and yeah you know all about that stuff but inside you feel like yeah but they don't realize that actually i i never really learned that properly or i just you know stumbled into it or you know whatever whatever it is and that's what gives gives you that anxiety about it is you could be an expert in something and you don't believe that you actually are the expert at all not because there's more to know but because you don't believe you legitimately made it to being that Isn't expert. Isn't funny
2: though it's kind of that if you think about it that's like the dark reflection of wisdom because if you're wise about it, you know that you don't know everything. And so, like, it's a check against your pride. Mm. And so, Correct. it's just the way that, you know, we perceive that, you know, like, is it, it's just kind of like neurodivergence, right? Are we different or are we messed up? You know, like, if you think that you're made differently, why does that have to be, you know, you're made incorrectly and you need to fix yourself to fit into a world that's, that's, that's neurotypical? You know, like maybe it's not a disorder that I have. Maybe it's just that I'm made differently. And, you know, like back in, you know, well, I guess still, obviously, racism is is still a problem. But, you know, just like the, I was thinking about this the other day that the, the mindset, and I think like Darwin had a lot of influence with this was like, if you are not white, then you're inferior. And then that, mentality propagated through colonialism and stuff like that because the you know the white people had the power and the technology um you know and so that's what that's what propagated which is like unfortunately you know has caused a lot of systemic issues that we have nowadays um because of that erroneous thinking way back then you know like just because somebody looks different on the outside doesn't mean that they're better or worse than somebody who looks different on the outside in another way right and same if you look different on the inside. So, like, why do we say, you know, like, for, for, for me, I um, found out about 10 years ago that I have adult ADHD, right? So, attention d- deficit disorder, right? Like, the, the disorder is the word that is like, that means you're out of order. You're not like everybody else. So, there must be something wrong with me because that's the label that they put on me. But what if it's just that I was made differently and other people are made differently, it doesn't mean that it's wrong any more than being a different skin color means you're wrong compared to somebody else, you know? Um, and I think that that, I don't know how I got on this tangent, but <laughs> I think a lot of that is is—is just, you know, perception by the masses versus perception by the minority of whatever we're talking about, um, you know, like, and, you know, whatever the voices are louder, um, those are the ones that people, unfortunately, listen to.
0: I think it's tied in a lot to a sense of self worth too, because if you feel like you, uh, I don't know, if you have a solid sense of your value as a human, you're less likely to m- minimize your accomplishments. Does that make sense? So, like, not I. I don't have a problem. I'm I'm a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean i feel, I'm fine is what I'm saying, but um, like I sometimes I feel like, okay, well, I was born with a decent singing voice, so that means it's not as valuable as maybe somebody who worked hard, so there that's
3: maybe where it comes from a little bit too. Mm. I don't know that's that's that thing I was just talking about a feeling that you legitimately accomplish whatever it is. You know, you've got that feeling, oh, it's not as legitimate for me because I was born with a good singing voice. You know, yeah. You know, something I really struggle with and have for all my adult life is what the hell is normal? Because if normal is what I see being portrayed out there as normal, I don't want to be normal. (laughs) Right, nor if normal is what is ruling the world and making the decisions that are being made, I don't want anything to do with it. And so that kind of always has me going up and down with am I an imposter, or how, wait a minute, this world is in a really bad way, and I recognize that how you know is there something wrong with me? So it's a really funny seesaw that I have ridden all my adult life.
2: Yeah, I've noticed that I'm, you know, in, in in talking through this, for me, the imposter syndrome comes in waves. I don't know what makes those waves, but, you know, I'll be doing good and not really thinking about it. And then all of a sudden I'm my own worst enemy in my head. You know, oh, hey, another, they might be giant's reference. But, um, you know, like <laughs> they'll be... There'll be uh, you know, days where I'm just like, what am I even doing here? You know, like the lyrics of that song, Lauren, you know, like, you know, each time I sleep, I'm sad I will be replaced by somebody else in the morning exactly like me. I mean, like I wow, that is a mirror for how I feel like in my brain all the time, you know, like um and I don't know if a lot of that is, you know, something that everybody thinks and feels and it's part of their inner monologue. I don't know if that's something that like, it just, I feel, and I've never really put, uh you know, words to it. You know, a lot of times I feel, and, and I don't know if you guys feel this too, but for me, um, you know, I'll feel like I'm a passenger or I'm in the backseat of whatever is going on in my brain, you know, like, it's so hard to explain, but like, I'll be observing what's going on, even though I'm still in control of my body or whatever, you know, like, but I feel like I'm just watching things go by and my hands are off the steering wheel sometimes, you know, disconnected and watching myself from the outside or something like that. Um, I don't know if that's common. Um, uh, I I I, can say
4: as someone who's been diagnosed with ADHD recently as well, mm -hmm. uh, mine within the last couple of years, that is a common ADHD complaint. Yeah. I guess. This yeah.
2: disassociating, I think yeah. what they call it. Um yeah. So I I mean like yeah, it's it's weird because it it ebbs and flows. I mean, you know, for me, uh my dad, um, when I was eleven, I remember like he was diagnosed with um, you know, at the time they called it paranoid schizophrenia, but later on they changed the diagnosis to bipolar disorder, uh, and then bipolar one. Uh, you know, triggered by, you know, several, you know, traumatic, you know, events in, in his life, um, you know, divorce and losing a job and not feeling like he can get back in the workforce and feeling, you know, ageism and not being able to keep up technology, all these different things. Uh, And, you know, losing, losing the house through the divorce and, you know, losing custody of of his kids, us, um, you know, all of these different things, like all kind of converge within the space of like a year. And, uh, you know, he also had a, a accident, a traumatic brain injury that probably triggered a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, after the age of eleven, like I, my, I really didn't have a father figure in my life. I mean, he was, he was there, but he was kind of checked out and battling his own demons and kind of like you know, uninvolved in in our lives except when he came to when we came to you know visit him every other weekend or whatever. But um, you know, for him, it was bipolar, and I know that that goes in you know like in waves right like um you know depression and then manic and then depressed and then manic and stuff and so maybe that's kind of you know vaguely related um as far as i know i'm not in that camp but i could see how you know the lines can blur and i could easily be in the same boat um so well it is a spectrum right Yeah. Neurodivergence, all these
1: things are interconnected or they're a part of a spectrum. Um, This is awesome. You guys are great. I love listening to everyone and working through my own issues as I listen.
2: you are all good examples. imposter
0: syndrome in the wheel of time. So, talking about Matt. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, I thought we were talking about Rand. Well, to me, the
0: standout
1: (laughs) imposters are not even Matt. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, And part of the reason. By by a long shot,
4: yeah. Yeah. Well, Ruark, do you want to explain why you think
1: that?
0: They read the books. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, I mean, Matt, the entire time, keeps saying I'm no bloody hero, but he's one of the biggest heroes out there. He's, As I like to say, he's, he's Han Solo. He, yeah. he wants to think mm. he's a ruffian, but when the chips are down and his friends need him, he is going to be the, the one that you want to count on. Mm -hmm. and so you know him constantly saying i'm no hero why why you guys should just leave me behind i'm just a drag on you and it's like no you're probably the biggest hero in the group dude yeah and and in the show they proved that by saying hey you're a hero of the horn you know
1: yeah yes so i wanted to say about that the show it's interesting because you know there are people who feel like the show doesn't get things right right in the very first episode of the show matt goes into the darkness faces the horrible winter night madness to find his sisters he yeah. is the the uncle who runs into the where fire. The yeah. Where are the girls? He run, He's the uncle that runs into the fire. Like that is Matt. And they got yep. that so right, yep. right from the start. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it yep. is hard. You can't do internal monologue in a TV show. And so I agree with you that the way they did it yeah. is they had Ishi telling him you're nobody.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: They had Ishi saying, yep. y- you were born bad. You're Everybody always bad. Everybody. Him. Yeah. And himself, of course. And so to see him kind of have that moment at the end of season two and be like, no, I know who I am. I'm really curious how that's going to translate into the future of the story, because there's a part of me that wants Matt to forget some of that and continue to discover that. For example, I want him to have a reason to go to the red, through the redstone door frames and those yeah. sorts of things. I want him to continue to think that he's mm-hmm. not the hero that he is. And I'm curious how they're going to address that.
4: The reason for him to go through the redstone doorways is to find the real memories because those memories that Ishi pumped him full of were, were Yeah, that's BS. good. Love th- oh, I love that's that, good. yeah. That's good. That's a good but point. It's
0: interesting that those memories then that he's given kind of exacerbate the imposter syndrome, though, because then it's like, I'm not a hero. I just have this knowledge that was given to me. That's what uh-huh. we were just talking about. That's true. So instead of, you know, he utilizes the knowledge, he applies the knowledge, he has that hero's heart, he does all these amazing things, but you can totally see why he would think, Oh, well, I just, this was just what was put in my head. So I don't, I don't get, I don't get to take any ownership of what I've accomplished. And that's, I think, the key portion of imposter syndrome is not being able to accept what you've accomplished.
2: I love how he also, like, you know, re- you know, segue for another episode, but how he masks that by saying, like, you know, oh, I must have read it in a book once, you know, like <laughs> one other <laughs> time. You know, it's very clear that yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it says internally yeah. that he hasn't read it. You know he's always meant to read that book, but you know Perrin and Rand told or Perrin and Rand told him to read The Travels of Jane Firestarter, and he's never gotten around to it. You know, by yeah. extension, he's probably never sat down and actually finished a whole book. He's also probably very ADHD. Um, you know, like you know, I, <laughs> oh yeah, who knows yeah. if he can focus that long? But um, absolutely. But I love how he ma- how he masked that by saying like, you know, I must read a book once, because he doesn't want to tell people like. I got, I went to this freaky other dimension and got a download of all these weird things. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I love it. I love his, so him and Nynaeve, especially like the, the the disconnect between their internal point of view and like, you know, how they present outwardly yeah, is just fascinating character study mm. to me and throughout the series.
3: And that's the thing with imposter syndrome is Matt was standing there he blew the horn, he realised he was a hero, they've all gone away. So, of course, his imposter syndrome is going to take back over. That, you know, achieving one thing does not make imposter syndrome go away. No. You know, I was talking to um, my son's partner yesterday and – I I don't know how the conversation got going, but I was sort of saying I've lived many lives, and I started talking about you know from what I first studied when I left school and different things I've done, and she was just like, "Wow, you have done so many things," and you know, and I sort of think it it's funny how you know I view myself and my achievements, but. When I was sort of stringing it together, it's like, yeah, I guess I have. But that's you know but that's not how that's not how we feel and and it comes back again to that total disconnect between what we can know logically in our heads and rationally and what um that internal heart voice is pumping through us, you know with things that we're feeling they can just override every single thing that we might actually, you know, know with our thinking brain. Mm.
2: You know, the show has done a really good job of, you know, fleshing out backstories or giving characters more depth than, than we ever thought that they could use, you know, um, and you know, really building stories where you know we didn't have that much of a reason for you know in the past, and so like you know, naive with her with her background and with her parents and being you know stuck in the basement, not being able to help, and now she feels the need to to help everybody because she couldn't and she felt trapped back then. I would love to see, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but I would love to see if uh, you know they give uh, Arthur Hawkwing you know some more screen time and to find out if he had imposter syndrome in building an empire and how he felt about it, um, you know, like, because I think that would be pretty fascinating. You could do Whether an that...
1: entire series about Arthur Hockling, couldn't you?
2: Yeah, or, or could you be know, really maybe, fascinating. maybe they go to that mm. in the movies mm. they're making or something, I don't know. But I just think that would mm. be super interesting.
3: I feel like the show really clearly showcased Nynaeve's imposter syndrome in season two. And I know a lot of people did not like how Nynaeve was shown, but I think that they really showed her internal dialogue to us by the way she was, you know, her I mean, her PTSD from season one was has just been forgotten by so many people. What she watched at that battle. And then her, you know, her saying nobody should have that much power. So, you know, she's got this whole mix of imposter syndrome and extreme PTSD. And From season
0: two also. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying. From season two is when she really it really comes out clearly, um, because of all she went through in season one, that just keeps getting, you know, built on, like with her her testing, and then she watches um, Raima die because she made the mistake and her little bit of power was too much and got them caught out, you know. Um, it's just, I, I just think that they are showing those things that we know about Nynaeve so clearly without you know having to try and show internal dialogue it's all being shown by you know externally in s- oh, such a striking Brilliant. way
2: i think yeah. so many times people are negative toward the show because they make a snap judgment just based on what they've seen when you you have to remember like you know this is the long game right like yes. this kind mm-hmm. of stuff you know builds and builds and you're going to see the same kind of issues that you could see like with a few paragraphs of 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 exposition from somebody's in their head in a book, you know, you're gonna see that same stuff on the show. It just it's it's a different way to do it. You know, like it has to be a different way mm-hmm. to do it. You know, like unless you want some cheesy voiceover with nobody actually talking and just like you know, like for, for for minutes and minutes and minutes. Like that would be stupid. You can't do that on TV. You know, it doesn't work.
0: Another character and this you might think I'm totally off track here that might have imposter syndrome from the books Mogidian.
2: Oh
1: yeah, Ooh. my favorite. Choice. There's a reason oh, she hides toe. in the shadows.
0: Yeah. Oh. yeah, I mean, because none of her accomplishments as a forsaken were like bold and in your face, like a lot of the other ones. And she's all, you know, kind of. I mean, it could have just been a that's a personality thing, but I wouldn't be surprised. Especially when she gets captured too. Sometimes I just I don't know kind of got some hints that maybe like, oh yeah, she would have felt inferior. Or, or I mean, yeah, <laughs> of course, when I say accomplishments, I mean like horrible deeds. <laughs> so it's not like. Great. But in comparison to her
1: <laughs> compatriots. Mel Gideon and land in the books reminds me of you ever watch Mad Men. Yes. Mm-hmm. Favorite show. Oh yeah. That's, I know Rob, you love it. There's a scene in Mad Men that I always think back on because there's this moment where Don Draper, he's like the big wig creative director at the agency in Mad Men. And he's just like, so important. And there's this like lowly um, employee, it's like a copywriter or something. I don't remember what his job is. He gets in the elevator with Don Draper. Don Draper is just like coming into work at like 11 in the morning or something. <laughs> and the guy says, he, the guy turns to Don Draper and he says, I feel so sorry for you. And then Don <laughs> Draper turns back to him and says, I don't think about you at all.
2: <gasps> yeah.
1: And to me, that is so cutting, but that's so like, sometimes I like have thoughts about someone that I perceive as better than me or, that I compare myself to, that's totally Mulgideon and Lanfear, right? She, I don't know that Lanfear ever thinks about Mulgideon when we see Lanfear, but Mulgideon's always thinking about how she's better in the world of dreams than Lanfear is, right? She's, she's always like comparing herself in that way. So that's really interesting that you mentioned that. That That's what made me think
2: of that. Well, I know it's not a mad men podcast, but like, if you watch the show, you will find out like Don Draper, like the main character, huge imposter syndrome, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, because he's basically like, I mean, Okay, spoiler alert! I'm i spo- I'm a spoil like the first Mad season man. or two. Okay, <laughs> like he has he, he has taken on somebody else's identity literally. So I didn't. Know that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. That, so that's the thing about Don Draper is wow he
1: presents himself as almost this iconic. Put together person
2: and he's so broken
1: and that's really fascinating expert yeah Welcome I mean it, it, it explains
2: why he's always you know chasing after other women and stuff like that too so I think like you know this young and upcoming copywriters who actually have talent you know and he's been in the 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 cushy you know like the, the corner office and stuff and having people do his work for him and stuff for a long time um, and he goes through a, a stint where he actually like you know is humbled and has to do that himself and even then feels like he can't do it. So he hires somebody else to do his work for him. So like he is feeling threatened by the young guys because he's like past his prime creatively, you know, and he doesn't want to admit it to himself and how often, you know, do we feel that, or, you know, in the context of the story, we see, you know, people like Gideon, you know, you know, could be, could be threatened like that. I mean, like, if you look at the power scale of the chosen, she's on the bottom Lanfear is, I think, second or third from the top. And yet, she's one of the only ones who survives the yeah. last battle. Oh, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> because her
1: way is fast and softly,
2: softly from the shadows.
1: So, I, I do want to keep talking about... I, I know we definitely have a lot to say about Nynaeve, and I want to talk about that. But there was one thing... Oh, I had it in my head. Oh, maybe we'll just talk about Nine Eve now. Oh, I remember. So, <laughs> the fact that Robert Jordan wrote Imposter Syndrome so well. Mm-hmm. Robert Jordan, to me... In the times that he did talk to the fans and did interviews, he never came across as someone with imposter syndrome to me. And yet he clearly understood it because he must have dealt with it, Mm -hmm. right? Was there even a
0: name for it then? I don't know that we had maybe. Right.
1: Well, and, and, you know, you see, like, you see so much of Robert Jordan in The Wheel of Time for obvious reasons. But, you know, like, his experience as a young soldier in Vietnam and his experience with having to kill people and things of that nature, like, he really probably did suffer from extreme ptsd and and other things but it's just interesting to me that such an accomplished writer also writes about imposter syndrome so well i wonder if he were here today if he would talk about how he felt he compared to other authors of the time you know
2: it's kind of an interesting concept. you know the the origins of will time book you know when they're talking about his background and stuff and you know he has that uh, you know you hear the stories from his publisher or from harriet talking about how he would like you know read a book. And he's like, that's trash. I could do it better. You know, because we as creative people, we do think that, you know, like that's one of the things that motivates to put something out there because we're not satisfied with the way things are already. And it's a challenge to us. But even then I bet, you know, that's too machismo talking, but then like, you know, behind closed doors, I bet like, you know, he's constantly writing a page, crumpling it up, tossing it out, you know, like, well, Harry had said he wouldn't even let her see it till he was on, like, the eighth draft
1: of a book. Something of that. Something like that. So he must have felt some sort of
2: uh, I'm not ready to show this yet.
1: You know? Mm-hmm.
2: And it's probably why he got a kick out of, like, trolling his fans when they would ask him questions. You know? <laughs> and, you know, like, sometimes he'd make stuff up, and other times he would, like, you know, he he had never thought about it before, but, you know, but it, he would, you know, you know, revert to the you know cranky old man like <laughs> why do we even worry about that it's it's a book you know like things like that you know but he was he had a sense of humor about it and i think that's probably an indicator of it as well
3: so jim always said that the main male characters in the book were all based on him they were all different facets of himself um just like all of the female characters were different facets of harriet so you know he must have gone through a lot of imposter syndrome during his life to be able to write it mm. so well, and that's just made me realise. And therefore, even Harriet did, you know. And I think we all have Harriet on a pedestal as being so amazingly accomplished. Um, but obviously, she's as human, you know. Do we have to say that it's there's something wrong with us to feel that, or is that just a human?
1: Thing, yeah. yeah, you know, light blinded fool has been chatting in the chat, and I I love the conversation that's going on there. But yeah, it's been it's been brought up a few times that you know people who are sort of past feeling or people who maybe are even psychopaths or sociopaths or people who it it's funny tend to be in leadership positions. It almost seems like they need a little bit more of that sort of internal monologue mm. and mm. impostor. Yeah. Wouldn't it be mm. nice if people who had imposter syndrome were our leaders, you mm-hmm. know, and, and instead of the people who are? Um, so. Anyway, I I wanted to call that out. Like there's been some great conversation going on there.
4: That kind of leads into the next person I wanted to bring up with imposter syndrome, which is Perrin, Mm. which is exactly what you're talking about there. He's, Mm -hmm. he's a natural leader, but he doesn't believe he is. He's like, why are these older people coming to me for advice they they should have, they should know more than me about this. Mm. And he doesn't want that leadership position. He doesn't think he's ready for that leadership position. He doesn't think he's, he's, the right person for that leadership position, but that's why he's the right person for that leadership position, you know? And, and I see Barron is having severe imposter syndrome because of that. Yeah, that's a great point.
1: You know, I was thinking when we talk about leaders, obviously Rand is in a similar boat where he is destined to be a leader, whether he wants it or not. Right. And one of the jokes, that's a constant joke in the books is When you're in Rand's mind, he thinks Matt and Perrin are better with women. And when you're in (laughs) Matt's mind, he thinks, you know, and that's hilarious because that in in and of itself is kind of imposter syndrome. Like they don't think they are as good as others. Um, But so someone, I can't remember who was talking about this, but during our conversation, um, I wanted to talk about, sometimes we do have moments of clarity. I think, Koala, you were talking about how you look at you. Someone says, look at all your accomplishments. And you go, oh, I guess I do have accomplishments. There are moments when we go, Oh, maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am. <laughs> the thing that's interesting about the Wheel of Time is Rand has a very big moment. It's, it's not a temporary thing. It changes him, and it's the Veins of Gold moment. Yeah. He yeah. has so much imposter syndrome. He has so many things against him. The darkness is creeping in so heavily, and yet something happens to him, and we call him Zen Rand afterwards, right? Like,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Is that possible? Is it possible in this world, in this life, to get that kind of clarity? Do you believe that we can overcome our imposter syndrome, and or do we need to?
0: I believe that you can. I I don't know that it it's going to be an, an internal development that you can do on your own. Personally, I was going to say earlier that one of the things that I've really appreciated um, in maybe overcoming a little of the imposter syndrome that I've experienced is is talking to people and and getting their feedback and and you know is it wrong to have someone say hey that was you did a great job at that and and appreciate that is is that praise a negative thing no i think it's i mean I, i've talked about this before um we, i mean we talked about it before we started but um ruark has been exceptionally helpful to me in be just being supportive of my you know my my little song parodies and saying that that was great. And, you know, sometimes you just need that external um, support to help you recognize that what you're doing is, is va- value or, you know, it is to a standard or whatever. It's just that you've accomplished something. If you can't recognize your own accomplishments, then other people can do it for you. You all have this, you've all been wonderful. So I don't to, but I do you know. <laughs> but you know,
1: that is a great thing to take away from this is we can be that light for someone else. We can kind of help with the veins of gold mm. for others because mm. sometimes we do have those shadows inside, but, but hopefully we can be a light to others. That might sound a little too Christian, but you get what I'm saying. Like we can, we can be positive for others. I love that. So there, there are religions that believe that someday we will overcome all of this, right? There are others that there are other people who think, well, no, it's, this is your one shot, you know, whatever happens, happens here. So, you know, I personally have hope that there is something greater someday, that maybe we can all one day be one and whatever that means, um, that that we can find some sort of transcendence. <laughs> but Rand does get that in the books. Um, is, is imposter syndrome needed to be fixed, though? We kind of talked about this. Is it a disorder? Is it a problem? So, uh, yes. Light Blinded Full said it needs Sometimes. to be a balance. We need to have a balance. And that's what the Wheel of Time is really about. It's not that imposter syndrome is good for you or bad for you. If too much of anything can be bad. you from doing right?
0: something that you want to do or that could be beneficial, then it's a problem. Like, yeah. if you just purely think you aren't capable of or worth doing something that brings you joy or could bring joy to others, then, yeah, I think it is a problem. I, um, you know, I, I have... I have refrained from auditioning for places just because I think I'm not good enough. And that's, that's not a great example because I'm not like helping the world or anything, but it's keeping me from doing something that I might enjoy. So, you know, I, that you certainly, yeah, I think it can be a problem. And I think it, that's what we need to work on overcoming is, you know, getting in our own way of, of our happiness.
4: I myself would say that, I think a little bit of imposter syndrome might be a good thing, just mm. because it helps to keep people humble. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I was going to say, um, if
4: you have no imposter syndrome and you think you're the greatest at everything, then, then you're a jerk. You know, that's its own <laughs> issue. hundred oh, yeah. percent.
0: I wasn't saying like that. It's you know um, yeah, horrible in all regard, but yeah.
4: But yeah, yeah. but I, but yeah. At the same time, imposter syndrome can be crippling. Right. Well, and yeah. I think mm. any mm. any sort of mental illness.
1: When it is crippling, that's when it needs to be treated. And I mean, we all feel sad, but that doesn't mean we all have depression, right? Right. Depression is in an extreme of that, which often needs to be treated so that the person can be safe, so that they can be enabled to do things to function. Um, So I guess that's kind of the point. We all have these things in us, but if it's stopping you from functioning, then it's a problem. It needs to be dealt with.
3: Sorry, but we didn't really talk about can Zen Rand's Zen experience that changed him. Can that be real? We didn't really.
1: Oh yeah. Would you like to address answer
3: that, that which you asked? And I think it can, but I think it, it's rare because most of us are not in a position to take that experience and change the world. And for me, that is something that pulls me back a lot at times is the feeling that I'm I'm not in the decision-making positions to really change the world, you know. And so that often pulls me back down. Whereas Rand was the dragon reborn, and when when he came to that Veins of gold, and that change was made, he was able to actually you know then run forward to that goal that he had to that he had to reach. and so, um, so yes, I think it can happen, but I think it's harder in the when you're reaching those those um kind of Zen moments in life, which which I have reached at times, but then it goes back to the drudgery of day-to-day life, and that's really hard to keep a hold of that, whereas if you were heading to the last battle, like, you know, it's kind of I think that makes it um, almost easier to hold on to because he'd had such a revelation of why yeah. Being in that Zen place was the answer, and what he could, could do with that. And he had such purpose.
1: Sense. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. had
1: a very clear reason to take that mindset into what The Last Battle was. It makes you exactly. wonder if, if there were ever a, a book about Rand after uh, everything. If he would still have, if he would still kind of be that Zen Rand, or if he would finally just be Rand. You know, there's that because great moment, and I think. Book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but, but and that's that's why there shouldn't be one. But it's nice to think that hopefully he has a peaceful life as a sheep herder like he always wanted. Or, mm, mm. you know, there's that moment, I think it's in book four, after he's attacked by the mirror images of himself from the bubble mm-hmm. of evil. And there's a moment where he just sits there bloody. And he just, for a little bit, he just wants to be Randall Thor, shepherd from the two yeah. rivers. Before yeah. he has to go back to being... The dragon, or the king of tear or whatever he was, right? So, um, it would be interesting to see if he finally got that kind of happy ending and it was able mm. to just mm. be at peace. But
2: yeah, I don't know if you, you ever, if it ever 100% goes away, the imposter syndrome, or whatever you know, mental things we're dealing with. But I definitely think that you know, what whether you want to call it like you know, a spiritual experience or you know, a awareness of self or reawakening or whatever, like, you know, coming to the point where you realize you can't control everything. And so, um, you know, rather than trying to be, you know, the, the, the Oak that doesn't bend in the wind, you know, like, you know, but be the willow that can bend, you know, and go with the flow. Um, when you can, you know, realize like you can't control everything, so you can let go and trust that things are going to work out. Um, and and not obsess over it but at the same time you know still take an active role in doing what you can do um you know coming to that point of uh realization of you know the the lack of selfishness i guess you know like putting others first not to the point of like totally neglecting yourself but um like you know he comes down and he's like um you know first thing he does is like helps the guy with the apple orchard right um, you know, like that's dying and you know, like he's he's doing what he can because he is now like, you know, the dragon has wanted the land and he the land is one of the dragon. He's realizing what that means for him at that point. Um versus being in such a sour mood and everybody's food is spoiling and you know, there's there's insects everywhere and all this kind of stuff. I think it's you know, like we can have those kind of experiences on a smaller scale. You know, like obviously, we're not like you know being tapped on the shoulder, and oh, by the way, you're gonna save the world kind of a thing, but you know we can do our part in saving the world and every little interaction we have with somebody, you know, like to you know bring joy or to listen to somebody or to you know you know give them a hug when they need it, or to you know just listen when they need it or um you know to help them if if you know something's happened, and you know they they they're in need you know we can you know change the world even a little bit and a little bit is enough to change it a lot because that's the whole butterfly effect you know like you never know what little thing you're going to do is going to inspire somebody else it's going to inspire somebody else and inspire somebody else to you macro changes that we never even realized were coming or that we'll probably never even realize we were a part of but it doesn't matter we don't need to know the end thing you know we can just choose to to do the right thing for somebody in those little moments
1: yeah, I've always thought about my circle of influence, like, what what difference am I making in the world? And for a long time, it was just me. Then it became me and my wife and, and our children and my friends and a few people around me. That circle of influence, generally speaking, is still very small. But if we can make a difference there, that's really the best we can do. Those, You know, we don't have to be Dragon Reborn to be a positive change in, in others' lives, right? Um, so I do want to be, I do want to be, <laughs> be thoughtful of everyone's time. Um, can we just talk about Nynaeve for maybe like five minutes? Because I feel like ninety is the most imposter syndrome character in the books. You actually think you can do it in five minutes? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let you guys talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's how he does it. <laughs> um, if that's okay, I, w- I just want to talk about Nynaeve a little bit. I mean, she was thrown into this role. At a young age, and mm-hmm. everyone was telling her she's too young. So she felt that somewhat inside. She looks too young on the outside. Yeah. The way she acts uh, is very different from the way she thinks. Which I find really funny and fascinating. I know, Koala, you've talked about Nynaeve before. Do you have any thoughts about that?
3: I do. I have quite a lot of thoughts about Nynaeve. Um, it can be 10 minutes if, if everyone's okay. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no. And, and with, when we do the masking episode, I particularly want to, like, talk then about how Nynaeve masks her imposter syndrome, we, whereas at the moment um, we, we've got just the fact of that imposter syndrome you know that she's going through and there's there's a lot of layers to it and I liked the way the show brought in the very early layer through her test of what it was like for her as a child when the now now as a child she was younger than she was in the test right but i believe that that was Quite um, an important start of her imposter syndrome was that you know that her parents were killed and she was left behind. So um, there's a little bit of a survivor guilt built in to that imposter syndrome, you know, that she's got, and it would be, it would appear to me from my reading of the books that the wisdom who raised her, had complete faith in her all the time. But that's a really interesting thing about imposter syndrome is how internal it is. So no matter, you know, how much that wisdom was raising her to be her apprentice from, you know, a younger age than I would imagine, wisdoms normally begin an apprenticeship. Like I would imagine, you know, um, a mother's not really handing her daughter over to become an apprentice wisdom until she's well in her teens, but she was being, you know, she was being moulded to that job from very young, and yet she still always had that imposter syndrome eating at her. Um, And then, of course, the fact that her age was slowing from Teens it just exacerbated that because part of her original imposter syndrome was, you know, that um, the external influence was all those, you know, rotten men telling her. Because it seems like the women were always accepting her. And it was really the men who were the most um, negative about her being wisdom because. Does anyone remember in the books any of the women in the women's circle not accepting Nineveh's wisdom?
1: True, I don't think there was the same resistance.
3: And and that's something that really strikes me just about that imposter syndrome is how those rotten men, yes, like blinded fool, (laughs) (laughs) how how internal it is, and you can have external events that cement it and you can have external events that disprove it and yet don't stop it happening
2: isn't it odd how so much of the criticism of the show is like that you know like anytime you know the women are put forward as you know being influential or in control or whatever then the, that's when you know all the backlash starts and not just the real time but any media these days you know like I mean, I just watched uh, the Marvels last night. Like, I hadn't seen that yet. I freaking loved that movie. It was so good. I love all the characters, you know, like, but so many people are like, oh, we're just tired of like, oh, another, you know, female protagonist, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, shut the heck up. Oh, you no. Know?
0: Like, We've had three so far in our lives. Yeah. yeah,
2: right. I'm a big fan of video games.
1: And uh, I recently played The Last of Us 2. No spoilers because I don't want to spoil it. <gasps> but it is an absolutely fantastic game but Mm, so i believe and it came out several years ago but because of covid and other things only last week did they finally release the making of documentary like the Mm. behind the scenes documentary about the making of the game which is also extremely spoilery so don't watch it if you haven't played the game but i watched the documentary and i was really excited to talk about it online so i went to community and maybe this is my first mistake i went to reddit (laughs) and <laughs> yeah, I <knew> it. But, <laughs> yeah. but I went to The Last of Us 2 subreddit thinking, oh, they're going to be talking about this documentary. I always like discussions about, you know, on the Wheel of Time subreddit, I like reading about the latest episode and seeing what people have to say. Uh, what I found out was that The Last of Us 2 subreddit in particular has been overtaken by like incels and angry people. And I was very surprised by that because I just wanted to have a conversation about this wonderful thing. And so then I went to the Last of Us subreddit and found out that there's like a division. The Last of Us subreddit is about the games and people who like them. Mm-hmm. And the Last of Us 2 subreddit is for people who hate the game so much that they and they just want to complain about the female protagonists and complain about all these things.
2: Do they call them the infected? They should. Like we call them
1: <laughs> the book cloaks? The book cloaks, yeah. Anyway, I was very surprised by that. And, you know, even with the... There was a Wheel of Time subreddit That was banned because people were being so harsh. Mm I don't know where I'm going with this. I guess I just wanted to say that I've been seeing this recently and I'm like, I'm always surprised that there are people that are this. Like upset about things like women being in power or whatever. (laughs) I I, always, I always forget that there are a lot of people who have really strong feelings about this stuff. And uh, obviously this was going on. 30 years ago when Robert Jordan wrote the books, 40 nearly, right?
2: Boo-hoo, so, you don't see yourself on screen anymore. Like
1: <laughs> That's
2: so weird, you, yeah. You've you you you've had it good for 100 years.
4: It's not even that they don't see themselves on screen anymore, it's that they don't see the, as much of themselves on screen. They yes. are the only ones on yeah. screen. Yeah,
2: that's it, yeah. Alyssa's biting backwards, I can see it. <laughs> Do you want to say something, Alyssa? No, no,
4: no, it's fine.
2: <laughs> I
4: will
1: say... um, Well, as always, thank you guys for this discussion. We could go on and on. I love talking to all of you. Thank you, Ruark, for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: Can we maybe have, like, final words, if anyone wants to say anything? Ruark, if you want to plug your uh, podcast one more time.
3: Well, I'll plug Ruark's podcast. Watch Party Wheel of Time is amazing. They go through the episodes, um, and then they do a lot of deep dives on a lot of subjects, like characters Um, all kinds of things I won't I won't even try and cover it but just phenomenal so if you're looking for some new different what content and you haven't been listening to them just get over and find them we'll have links in um, the show notes for this so that you can easily find them. And it's been great having you on as a guest, Rui. So good to see you. I haven't seen your face for months and months and months.
4: Yeah, almost since Watcon, I think.
3: Pretty much, yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it's been wonder- wonderful seeing your face again. And thank you so much for all the kind words about the podcast. Um, I have to say about my own podcast, it, it's it's not about me. It's about the panel, and the panel are amazing. They are. They see through to the core of these characters in ways that a lot of book readers don't, Mm -hmm. and and it's amazing to watch. I'm always in awe every discussion that we have, how much they they know, how much they see. Just the other day, um, I'm not sure if this episode has been released yet or not, but uh, we were discussing the character of Varen, and and somebody brought up the idea of you know what would be really funny if is if somebody was like a triple agent. And went, went to, like, get info from the dark side and bring it back to the light. And I, I'm... That would be <laughs> just biting your tongue. So, yeah, I mean, they are right on top of this stuff.
1: Well, can I just say, you're also a wonderful moderator. You really know what questions to ask. You know how to... I, I don't know. It's just phenomenal all around. You, you're all great. And you do a really good job of um, kind of encouraging that discussion and bringing out those things, too. So it's not just them don't want you to have imposter syndrome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I just want to add too that, that Ruark is just a stellar person all around. I feel privileged to have met you and the support that you've given me and other members of the community. I just really appreciate it. Um, also not to be like a weirdo or a fangirl, but just your voice, your voice is amazing. <laughs> I just love listening to you talk. So well,
4: really thank, thank you.
0: you so much for being here.
4: Yeah, it really has been great. Well, I, I am a, a huge fan of yours as well, Alyssa. I love all of, your, all of your songs that you do. They're all amazing. And I wish I had half of the, the ability to make a video. that
0: you. Well, do. we're going to work together. At least that's my <laughs> <Hopefully>. dream.
4: <laughs> I need somebody to make videos I for wanna me. I want to
0: make a video for you so bad.
4: I would love to see that collaboration. You have to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know there was a time sometime last year, I can't remember if it was pre-Walcon or post-Walcon, we we all met in Salt Lake, those of us who live in the area and went to dinner. Mm-hmm. And um, Rourke, you I think it was actually before Watt Idol last year. You mentioned that you had a yeah, fun yeah, was... idea cooking and then you weren't able to finish it. Is that still something you intend to do? Uh,
4: yes. Oh, good. Um I, I've <laughs> decided that I'm not going to use that for uh, Watt Idol. I'm going to get that recorded and get somebody to help me with a video to make it as good as possible. So maybe not me. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no definitely. definitely you. <laughs> but I, I, my plan is hopefully to release it during season three when the topic of the video becomes very germane. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Love it.
1: By the way, and Koala has been doing a lot of great parodies lately. And honing her skills in that regard. And she's great at making videos too. So you got a lot of talented people to pull from.
4: For sure. Good. Cause I don't have any of it myself. (laughs) Well, other people's.
1: The audio is the thing I'm the least
4: (laughs) um, comfortable with. So I'll have to pick your brain about that sometime. Absolutely. I'm more than happy to help anybody with audio. that, And that goes not just for you all, but for your listeners. If somebody's getting something to get it together for Watt Idol and they want help with the audio portion of it, Reach out to me. I, I I may or may not have time, but I I it's something I love to do. Awesome.
1: So. That's actually a really great great point. And one of the things I want to encourage in the next Watt Idol is encouraging more collaboration, especially in that sort of se- sense when people need technical help. Like let's yeah. Yeah. help each other. That's the point, right? So um Yeah. Awesome. Uh Rob or Quala, did you wanna say any last words or plug anything?
4: No, not me. Actually actually, I want to I wanna plug something for Rob. Oh. I want to. I want to plug the uh, new creations by Gen Store, where all of Rob's amazing merchandise can be found. Oh, thanks! Including Rob's unbelievably awesome illustrated map of the Wheel of Time. Yeah, I got everybody it. Mm-hmm. Got it behind me one. right here. Yeah, yeah, I, I see two here. of them. I
1: finally put them both up.
4: And I have a reason for plugging your store. I want you to sell a bunch more of those maps so that you finally get around to making the IL Waste Map.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, on, the, that's on, my, on my next to-do list because, you know, I've, I've, I've been thinking about it and I'm like, hmm, you know, I could just, like, you know, crop down the one I already have and kind of blow that up, but I really want to, you know, deep dive into it and make it new, make it, like, its mm-hmm. own de- more mm-hmm. detailed and
1: the more mm-hmm. high resolution maps, the better for me because I yes, I need all absolutely. that stuff on my channel. So I
0: have the map on the water bottle, and it's the best water bottle. So make more of those too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know the other cool thing about Rob and New Creations by Jen, which is Rob's wife's site, is you do merchandise for all all sorts of Wheel of time content creators, and it's mm-hmm. so helpful. I know I sell a mug on there. I don't know if anyone's ever purchased it, but I sell a <laughs> mug on there, and
2: uh, we ha- we there was there was somebody who. One uh, the set of Frosties at um, at uh a holiday and the way that that thing works, you know, sponsored by Andrew from Black Tower Podcast is that they get to choose which Frosties they get. Oh, and cool. Yours was one of the ones that they chose, and I'm like, oh, I get to make one of Lawrence. I'm so Hooray, excited! Someone you know, made like, one. <laughs> Someone wanted one. That's yeah. Like. So that was cool. So thank you, Ruark. Appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm currently working on a couple new maps that are not Wheel of Time related, but I'm doing one of Roshar. From the Starlight Archive, so that's fun. Um, I'm doing one for um, for an author slash Twitter of Time uh, personality. Um, you know, he's you know written a book and he's wanting me to draw a, a version so they can include that when it gets published or e published.
0: Cool. Not really
2: sure. That's so um, awesome. So there's yeah. that. That's um, for uh, Matt Scoundrel. I think is his on screen yeah. name. And uh, and then I'm doing one for uh, Earthsea, just because. Sweet. Somebody asked me, oh, so. I love it. I'm awesome. so glad you're doing those. That's I've awesome. got to keep my skills honed since I talked about being an imposter illustrator. so not, uh, <laughs> not you are fight it. <laughs> You're the
1: real deal. We all are. Well, thank you guys all for coming. This has been awesome. Um, I do have a video coming, believe it or not. I actually have a video that's nearly Yay. finished. I've been working on it. I might finish it today. If that's the case, it'll be released sometime next week, but
0: and I just want to say, because I, as closing thought for me was that don't don't minimize your own accomplishments. That's it. And if you can, if you can, you, you know, we don't we're not saying brag to the whole world, but don't beat yourself up. Be kind to yourself and really recognize when you've done something and when you've achieved a goal or whatever. That'll help. I think that will really help with any imposter syndrome. Easier said than done, but try it. And if you can't if you can't do it for your own self, find a friend who can help you help build your. Build yourself up.
1: I love that. And if you ever need any uh, compliments, we're here. We're here to help. That's right. We would love to build you up. Koala?
3: And um, very soon the new Season 2 Cards of Time um, will start to be released over Mm -hmm. social media, so you'll get to see they're all done. There's a few more cards in the general set, this year um, because there's more characters. Um, and <laughs> we're also, um, I've been working with Scout very closely and we have nearly completed three Cards Against Humanity Wheel of Time-based sets of cards. <laughs> oh, nice. <That's> great. <laughs> so one will be for show-only people. They can just purchase that set. Uh, They are going to be to purchase. I can't give them away because there's like 500 cards in a set. Um, uh, But there'll be a, yeah, a show-only set, and then you can add on to that if you like a full book spoiler set, and you can either play them separately or add them all together. And we've been doing a um, content creator set as well, or content creator and fandom, so it's like cards that, you know, the fandom will understand the jokes within them. And if that wasn't enough, um, I've also been developing a set of playing cards. So, like a regular set of playing cards, but um, completely based on Matt. And oh, cool. so, <laughs> and um, if you ever used to play the game Old Maid, That Mm -hmm. was kind of the thing that started the development of this so that you can play um, the old maid game, but it'll be damn prick. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that kind of uh, an insult to Matt that there are going to be playing cards based on him because didn't playing cards attack him? (laughs) Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so so I've made um, four suits that – um, are Matt themed instead of hearts, diamonds, clubs, and spades, and um, and every card has a different Matt quote from the show on it. That is so, so cool. Th- so they've been a lot of um, fun to make, yeah. And one of one of the jokers, and so the Joker cards are the damn prick cards. One of the jokers is a Donald Matt, and one of the jokers is a Barney it, so that and have you vote. guys heard <laughs> him sing yet? Just saying Yes. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't need to blow the horn at all. He could have just sung the heroes on in. <laughs> <laughs> you guys <laughs> yes. aren't even ready. If
0: you don't know Hayestown and you haven't heard the whole soundtrack, you are not ready. I'm so excited.
3: <laughs>
1: That's yeah, it looks amazing. I um I love I don't love that the show is coming out every two years, but I do love that it's giving the actors opportunities to do all these other cool things. Um, That's the one benefit of it, I think, is that people like Donald Donald, Donald get to do these other things, and we get to see them in the spotlight in other ways, which is fun. Obviously, Rosamund Pike is just incredible. She's doing movies and winning Golden Globes and being amazing, as always. But anyway, that's fun for me. Okay, enough of this. Thank you, guys. This has been so nice. Every time we do this, I'm like, we're not dark friends. You're not dark (laughs) friends. (laughs) <laughs> why do we call ourselves that no uh, <laughs> no we might be
3: but they we might, might be, be. <laughs> no, we could
1: be. Uh, thank you again Rourke, for joining us it's been a pleasure to talk to you we'll have to do this again
4: yeah thank you for having me i had a great time
1: all right i don't i never know how to end this who wants to end it
2: <laughs> goodbye goodbye may you always find water <laughs> and shade <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks so much for listening you can follow us on Twitter at TMBD Podcast. You can support us on Patreon.com slash TheyMightBeDarkFriends. And if you'd like to be on the podcast as a guest to share why you love the Wheel of Time, please email us at theymightbeDarkFriends@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks for listening in.
2: Join us next time, or you might be a dark friend. Can you see my suspicious eyebrow?